Welcome to Encounter, a series of podcasts from the Wolf Institute in which we consider matters of faith and belief in society. We won't be chasing news stories, but we'll be trying to drill down into the reasons why news stories bubble up. Understanding others in order to understand ourselves. I'm Ed Kessler, founder, director of the Institute, and in this program we're asking the question, should we send our children to faith schools? Are faith schools good for society? I have three people with me today to discuss this topic, and I ask them to introduce themselves and outline briefly their opening positions. Would they, or do they, send their children to a faith school? Azadeh Moveni, Austin Tiffany, and Julian Hubbard. Julian. So I don't have children, so in, in some sense I can't quite answer the question. Um, uh, to introduce myself, I'm uh, an academic, I'm a politician, and I'm also a patron of Humanists UK. Um, so come at this from a, a, a non-faith, a, a belief uh, background. Uh, no, I have no problem with people having their own faiths. Um, I don't happen to share them. Um, but I think there is also a space for the majority of people in this country who don't have a religion. And I think that's a, an important moral space, an important philosophical space, uh, and affects policy a lot. I've been interested in the issue of faith schools for a long time. I was a governor of a Church of England school. Um, but from all of that experience, from, from being on, on the county council, I think it's wrong that the state is funding specific religious education. Uh, we wouldn't allow it in any other area. We wouldn't have a faith hospital. Um, and I think it's wrong to say to a child, you are not the right religion, or more accurately, your parents aren't the right religion, so you can't go to that school that the state, the taxpayer, is paying for. Oh, well, that will get us going. Azadeh. Thank you. Um, I'm Azadeh Mulvenny. I am a writer, a journalist, and an academic. Um, I have two children who do not attend a faith school. Um, I believe in principle that it can be for many families, especially in the era that we live in, which I think many people um, with strong attachment to their faith sort of feel that society is increasingly uh, secular in a very heavy-handed way. I think faith schools are um, a way for religious people to feel as though their children can grow up with a strong kind of personal core of spirituality and yet feel attached to national identity at the same time. Um, so I certainly think that it's important to, to be able to offer that. Um, I do come from an <clears throat> American background where there is absolutely no religion in school at all, and that's kind of one position. Um, something I was struck by uh, having my children go to school here, though, is that even schools that are not faith schools are still somewhat infused with a, a kind of trickle-down faith ethic. So even though we're talking about faith schools, I think it's important if you know we're going to compare to the French super-like model and the American, again, basically the same, we do have faith in all schools, really. And then there are faith schools who are very robustly faith schools. Thank you. My name is Austin Tiffany. I'm a PhD scholar here at the Wolf Institute. Um, I don't have any children myself, but I would be quite open to sending my children to a faith school. Uh, I am a practicing Christian, and I very much value schools having an ethos of a particular faith. And I think it is very important for kids to be raised in that tradition as well. Um, I think on the flip side of that, there is uh, a desire, uh, there is a need for diversity to be included into that school. Uh, while I do think that teachers have the right to be Christian and a faith school, for example, CFE, there's something very important about having a diversity of perspectives in those students' lives. Um, I likewise come from an American context where state and church was totally separate. And so this is even a bit of a foreign idea in the sense that the state funds 
faith schools is something that's deeply unsettling to me and something I can't quite wrap my head around. Um, but then I do think it's important to be able to give kids uh, education and a faith-specific ethos, um, but that must be treated carefully and with nuance to allow those kids to have experiences that are outside that particular interpretation of that particular faith tradition. Well, welcome to you all. Um, where should we begin? I suppose one could begin in, in um, the Education Act of 1944, uh, which mandated collective worship of a, quote, mainly Christian character. Um, although I'm sure the architects of that bill didn't think about the fact that in Yorkshire there are 10 times as many Muslims as Methodists today. Or we could go to 1988, which brought in a national curricula, and that national curriculum demanded that children learn about the non-Christian religions uh, of this country. But going to today, there are around a third of our schools that are faith schools. The majority, of course, are Christian, mainly Church of England and Roman Catholic. But there are an increasing number of other faith schools, whether they're Jewish or Muslim, Sikh or Hindu. Um, so what are the benefits of a faith school? In fact, isn't there an argument that religions bring a wisdom um, to education? Um, and certainly in an increasingly secular society, which I'm sure is something you're going to say, Julian, um, where perhaps the majority are secular, I don't know. Um, but, you know, should the state be serving a minority tradition, a minority community or a series of minority communities? Fundamentally, I think just listening to you, we are divided and public opinion is divided. Public opinion actually is increasingly in favour of sending um, children to faith schools. Uh, they seem to be more successful than the average, at least that's what the research I've seen shows. So let's start at the crux. Do faith schools promote cohesion and tolerance, or are they socially divisive, leading to increasing tensions and misunderstanding? I mean, let's get to the nub of it. What do you think, Azadeh? It's an important question because <clears throat> ultimately we want the schooling system to promote social cohesion. We want children to <clears throat> be able to develop empathy for their peers across difference. And can that happen in a faith school that is primarily attended by children of just one faith? In so many ways, given the ways that kind of many fundamental religious values today clash with normative secular liberal values, a faith education can offer a bridge between that. Whereas to go to just a regular state school in which religious values are largely not discussed, uh, where religion is sort of kept to the home, I think children who come from fairly traditional faith backgrounds develop, if anything, um, you know, a greater sort of sense of fracture within themselves. I mean, how can I be taught all of this at home? This is what we believe. This is what we believe to be ethical. These are our values around, around premarital sex and about homosexuality. And yet I go to school and I'm confronted with vastly diametrically different attitudes of what is good and what is right and what is just. Um, and I think that a faith school uh, can bridge that, can sort of give some sort of cohesion and guidance to young people who are trying to navigate these very split identities. Um, so ultimately, I think, you know, if done well, if supported, if treated with nuance by Ofsted and all the different institutions that are kind of hovering over them, it can promote cohesion because it can provide models for young people in order to make sense of it all. Julian said cohesion. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's fascinating what you're saying. I, I don't agree with it. I mean, I think, firstly, there is a role for the state in having some standards that we do 
accept. I mean, there was the case recently of the Yesterday Hatorah um, senior girls school, a Haredi uh, Jewish school, which was redacting textbooks to remove any references, for example, to homosexuals being persecuted in the Holocaust. Um, now, I find that astonishing that we would allow a state school to say, actually, we don't want to admit the existence of, hol of homosexuals because the parents might not like to know about it. I, I find that you know, a problem for a state. But the issue about cohesion, I hear what you say, but to me, the idea that you have one school where the Muslims go, one school where the Jews go, one school where the Church of England go, and one school where the Catholics go, doesn't feel like it's going to enhance cohesion. What it's actually going to do is increase segregation. Um, we, what we would like, I think, is to have a young Muslim child getting to know people of all faiths and none, discovering that they are human beings, they're people you can interact with. It seems to me that would be much more powerful for cohesion than keeping them much further apart. So you'd be in favour of a government policy which is putting a 50% cap on new, new schools, new faith schools, which uh, allow for 50%, so you have the ethos, whether it's a Muslim or Jewish or Catholic, the ethos and a proportion of those children, and yet at the same time brings in other children so we can make sure that they, they meet one another. You'd no. be in favour of that? Uh, no, I, I, I think uh, it's better than a 100% cap. I think a, you know, a mono-faith school would definitely be worse. But I think 50% is, is already creating this separated concentration where you might have a few minority people uh, mixed in there. I actually don't think it's, it's popular. I mean, there's a Comrades survey which found about sort of four to one of people saying that state-funded schools, included faith schools, should not be allowed to select or discriminate against prospective pupils on religious grounds. Having faith schools which allow any level of discrimination, 50% or anything else, does mean saying, I'm sorry, you, nine-year-old, are the wrong religion to go to the school down the road. So, Austin, faith schools are um, contribute to, towards intolerance. They are the opposite of uh, uh, aspiring to this value that we, 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 we desire, the value of social cohesion tolerance. Yeah, if I can play devil's advocate, we've all been teenagers, right? And so even if we go to a diverse context, we're still going to sit with people who look and think just like us. I mean, I think back to my high school, uh, in, in Texas, which was diverse. Uh, there were students from other faiths and other ethnicities. And just the way that teenagers work is that you're going to latch on to people who behave and think and look just like you. And so at one point, I think, is it necessary for the state to try and be imposing this diversity in the classroom when really it's just up to the students to be able to make connections? And I don't think me as a child or as a preteen or anything will look at someone else and be like, you're different than me. I want to be friends with you to broaden my horizons about religion and the world more broadly. On the flip side of this, though, if I can say, is I think there is value into having some diversity inside the classroom. I was speaking to some friends who attended faith schools who talked about that they never met a Catholic until they went to university. They never met a Jew until they went to university. And I do think there is value uh, for something like me go, growing up in a diverse, Texas is not incredibly diverse, <laughs> but a somewhat diverse context of I was going to my first bar mitzvahs when I was about 10 years old. Uh, I had a student in my class who was Muslim, and I remember as a kid asking, why aren't they eating right now? This is during Ramadan, of course. And while I don't think that that contributed to this new idea of cohesion, and this is building this new society where tolerance is key, um, it did ask me, it did lead me to ask questions about what does it mean to be religious and have a religion that's different than this flavor of Christianity. So in that sense, I do think it's important to have uh, some diversity inside the classroom. Um, 
and I'd probably be against having 100% monolithic of a particular faith. But I don't think that we need to be focusing so much on creating these environments from the state that makes these students become friends across lines of faith. Because I don't know if that will necessarily well, tell happen. Tell me, do you, I mean, do you think who's responsible for education? Is it the responsibility primarily of the state? Mm. Or is it the responsibility primarily of the parents? Mm. Well, I think it's the responsibility of the state. But if we're going to be talking about religious values, I think that's the responsibility of the parents. Right. So why shouldn't the parents have the freedom in a tolerant, diverse, pluralist society to choose which schools they send their children? Why shouldn't I send my child to a school that is a faith school? I might not want a 100% faith school, but I want a faith school that has a, an ethos that, that, that helps my ch children get adapted and accustomed to this world. So, first, I mean, there's lots of questions we could talk about ethos and whether a non-faith school can have a positive ethos, and I think obviously it can. I think your point about freedom is a really powerful one because, yes, in a plural society, people should be free to worship, to have, have whatever beliefs uh, they would like to have, but that doesn't come with a requirement for the taxpayer to pay for it. You know, you should be free to go to a mosque, to, to pray, to a synagogue, but it's not necessarily the case that because you choose to do that, the state has to pay for it. And I think that, to me, is the difference. So if there are um, privately funded faith schools, there are some national standards, which I think we should have, of what you cannot do to a child because it's just unacceptable in the same way that we do it with home education. But within that, I'm much more relaxed. That's your choice. I wouldn't agree with it, but it's not my job to agree or disagree with your personal choices. The question for me is, should the state be doing something which is discriminating. As though you are nodding away. That is, I think that raises a very interesting point uh, around what the state's responsibility is to communities and to promoting social equality or social justice across geographic areas. And schools are obviously a part of that. So certainly you have, you know, deprived areas in the North that are largely Muslim. Um, with the kind of cuts we're seeing to education across the board, especially to primary schools, um, you know, these are communities that are largely Muslim anyway, are coming across an austerity government that is, you know, taking funds away from education. Um, in that context, I don't necessarily think that reflexively most, you know, British Muslims want to send their children to Muslim faith schools. I think they want to send them to good schools, schools that perform well, schools that will help them do well in their GCSEs and move on up and get a job because Muslims face, you know, incredible structural discrimination across, you know, the university system and then more on into getting to jobs. So I think the priority is let's send our kids to good schools. And if that's a CV school, so be it. I think what's happened in, in lots of areas of the North Birmingham is that you know, communities have come together and said, look, we need to pull ourselves up because we're kind of dealing with a government that is not focused on education for young people across the board. So let's do it. We have this value. So these faith schools are set up. Uh, they perform well. You know, the whole Trojan horse scandal, I think the great tragedy of it was that it ended up kind of decimating these community nurtured schools that were performing excellently. And there were issues there. Obviously, everyone recognizes that, but were dealt with so harshly. You know, so many teachers banned from teaching. The community was left feeling, well, we, we tried, you know, you, 
you have austerity cuts. We try and kind of recreate with our resources and our passion good schooling for our children. And you come in here on a hot day in a kind of politicized way. There was an Ofsted report uh, for one particular school called Parkview that was outstanding. Uh, they come in, you know, a year later, again, no problem. 11 days later, they come in and the questions are all to the young girls like, why are you wearing such long skirts on a hot day? You know, it seems as so we're kind of at the juncture of kind of politics, security, social justice across these northern communities and parents feeling quite bewildered. You know, what do I do? Um, I would just like to access the best education for my children, willing to invest personally within the community to do it um, and feeling um, kind of running into walls in, in every direction. Um, so I guess the question is, um, you know, can we think about also the big gaps in education and how these gaps disproportionately affect certain communities who are already facing, you know, a future of, of real just structural discrimination? You're listening to the Wolf Institute podcast Encounter with me, Ed Kessler. My guests today are Julian Hubbard, Azadeh Moaveni and Austin Tiffany. We just touched on the Trojan horse affair, which generated a huge amount of bluster um, and focusing particularly on the Muslim communities. Um, and a lot of very bruised people came out of it. But of course, the publicity always goes and focus goes on the, the, the problem areas, whether it's an ultra-Orthodox Jewish school or whether it's a very conservative Muslim school. But the vast majority of faith schools are middle of the road, Church of England or Roman Catholic majority of primary schools, where certainly the former chief rabbi was very happy to send his children. Why are we getting so hung up on those schools that are problematic, which I wonder whether they're few and far between? And we have the laws to actually monitor them properly, whether it's Ofsted. Um, aren't we using a hammer here uh, to crack a nut? I mean, so firstly, I think uh, we should be very firm on any school which goes wrong and fails its pupils. And I don't care what background I think we it all is, agree on that. Know? And so you do have to have that hammer available sometimes. And I agree that there are a number of, as you, as you describe, the middle of the road. I mean, they still massively overrepresent the Church of England compared to the fraction of young people who self-describe as, as, as being involved with, with the church. Um, and many of them are largely inoffensive. There's this idea, by the way, that... Hold on, no, hold on. Let me just push you on so, that. Inoffensive, is that, that's the best you can give? Uh, many, so, so that's probably a, that is definitely a badly chosen word. They do a perfectly reasonable job in many cases. One of the things, I mean, there's this myth that faith schools do better. Um, what's interesting is if you have a look, what happens, this comes back to, as I was saying, is that they take pupils from wealthier backgrounds. The figures are quite clear that faith schools across the UK, I, I don't have specific Muslim figures, but I, so I don't, it may be different there, um, take fewer pupils who get free school meals than comprehensive schools. Now, I don't know whether that's because of where they're located. I don't know whether that's because parents who um, care more about this suddenly become religious for a year or two in order to get their children into the school. You know, who knows? Um, but so Church of England primaries, you know, Catholic ones, they take pupils who are not from the disadvantaged backgrounds and then say, if we take pupils who are doing better, they do better. That's not a shock. But So I don't think there's much evidence that they do better than any other school. I think that's, that, that's a red herring which often comes up. Well, I mean, we can look at these Birmingham schools, and very quickly, because I don't want to, you know, be hammering away at, you know, uh, these issues. But this one particular school that was... Um, 
kind of there was an intervention and it was seen as, as, as being very problematic and it was rated by Ofsted as inadequate, it promptly fell, you know, in the course of two years, 20% across its GCSE levels. So it something was working and it stopped working when it stopped being what it was. Um, and, I, and I certainly don't think in those primarily working class, you know, areas of Birmingham, say, that you're not going to be dealing with like a, you know, very wealthy, um, you know, hub of Muslims who are going to bring those kids. So, um, I think certainly with Catholic schools, that might be that might be a situation. But um, I think when you're dealing with Muslim faith schools, there's not a sort of great class disparity. And I think that the kind of pulling of middle class kids is not the key to their success. I think it's other things. And I think it's things like kind of streamlining, um, you know, work around issues or bringing in languages that everyone studies anyway, kind of playing to their strengths and kind of creating a cultural cohesion and a culture that is very focused uh, on studying, where it's cool to study, you know, and that's not something that every state school can manage to, to cultivate. I think there's one thing that you touched on that faith schools definitely add to society and children, and that's developing the person holistically, at least a bit more, perhaps, than a secular school. And it's being able to, uh, I guess, care and nurture different parts of a student's lives beyond just the academic focus. So whether that is support in terms of counseling or even faith reflection, or something like that. I think that ultimately adds to the student's experience. Maybe perhaps, and maybe that's not a measure of success, right? But it's speaking to friends who go to faith schools, they talk about the support they get um, in terms of whether it's just a satisfaction of knowing that, you know, someone is praying for them and maybe that is helping them that may not be measured. Um, but I think that does help the overall success of the students. Uh, maybe not in terms of test scores, but perhaps in the way that they feel the community cohesion. Is there, is there a, an argument that, you know, with an established church uh, is part of our heritage, whether it's the Church of England or it's the Church of Scotland, um, and therefore, you know, the country has this history of investing in uh, church schools, uh, faith schools, uh, and that, you know, many people, whether they're religious or not, are comfortable sending their child to a faith school and of, of another faith. I mean, you know, you think of the King David School in Birmingham, where the majority of the kids are Muslim. Um, and those parents are sending their children to a Jewish school or a, a, with the Jewish ethos because they know they're going to get a good education and so on. So, you know, isn't the core of this the question of encounter and diversity rather than faith school or non-faith school? Isn't that what we should be focusing on. And if faith schools are doing that, then surely they should be support. I mean, look, I think the history is, is fascinating. And, and absolutely, in the UK, we owe a debt to the Church of England and the Catholic um, faith for really pushing education for all. I mean, that really was an important thing. The history is absolutely there. Um, but I don't think we just have to stick with that bit of history. I mean, we, we could go a, a, a Cambridge um, invention. The Perth School was, you know, originally on free school lane because it was the first free school in the country. It was a school that anybody could go to if they could pay enough. And at the time, that was the radical change, that you didn't have to belong to the right denomination. So we can look at various different um, bits of history. And yes, I think it is about diversity. It is about encounters. It is about seeing a broader piece. To me, that is better done by a school which is, I mean, also you said earlier, secular schools. They're not secular schools. They're just not religious schools. And absolutely, I would have no problem with people from all faiths and none coming in to talk about what their faith means. You know, I, I would not be in favour of a, the sort of thing which says we may never talk about religion. 
in education. I think you know, religion is important to the history of the world, to philosophy. It would be perverse to say we can never talk about it. But that should be something which every school gets to know about all religions and belief sets, rather than saying, you know, this one is that one, that's that. Two things. Well, you, you started at saying, you know, if ultimately we want to come to a point where the schools are a place that foster encounters and good education, you know, are these not providing that? You know, I would argue yes. And I think that one way of thinking about it is what is the best we can do to meet those aims within our very limited resources? Okay, so I think that given what we have to deal with now, um, with the funding that exists for schools, uh, what's being cut, you know, traditionally, 10, 15 years ago, you would have lots of after-school programs and youth centers and other places where kids could go to to have encounters. And if you lived in a very mixed borough or a mixed part of, say, you lived in Walthamstow, um, you could go after school. There would be places for you to go to to have that beyond the school day. Those are all cut now. There's essentially no funding for that. Or if there is, um, in kind of heavily dense Muslim areas, it comes through prevent counterterrorism funding, you know, which kind of brings a whole kind of eye of surveillance over the whole thing and is very, it's a very dark shadow. Um, so I think, you know, looking at it from the perspective of a Muslim parent who's worried about my child, um, potentially also, you know, encountering anti-Muslim racism, encountering, you know, lots of bullying, that kind of bullying is, is kind of dramatically on the uptick. Um, you know, dealing with you know, teachers who are, have been trained now to spot signs of radicalization in the smallest things, in drawings, and, you know, what if my child mentions Palestine at school? I think the environment now for Muslim parents is one of extreme anxiety, and that's why you have this exodus from the school system in total, because there is a fear that, you know, not simply, you know, put aside, you know, wanting to have encounters, putting aside wishing to have a good education, there's a fear that my children might even be taken away from me if, you know, the, the wrong, a poorly trained teacher spots something, thinks it's wrong for my six-year-old to seven-year-old to be, you know, wanting to tie a kerchief around her head, suddenly we're, like, in a very different space, a securitized space. Um, so I, I understand that these are issues that are kind of very particular to Muslim faith schools, but it's one that Muslims face when they kind of deal with education in general. I think this, this, this fear that you're pointing out isn't simply a, a Muslim concern. Um, I'd like to, to talk about how so many parents are worried about religion. They don't want their children to go and visit. It could be a mosque or it could be a temple or it could be a, a gudwara. You're listening to the Wolf Institute podcast Encounter with me, Ed Kessler. My guests today are Julian Hubbard, Azadeh Oveni, and Austin Tiffany. What about this question of fear, Austin? Um, do you think there's a sense of fear within the schools about tackling different topics as they talked about Palestine, just mentioning the word Palestine or mentioning the, the, the question of dress or um, hijab or niqab or, or so on? I mean, is this, is this something that we need to explore? In a, is the school the right place to explore these sorts of issues? Yeah, I definitely think so. But I think that it's appropriate for the teacher to be able to understand the nuance and the sensitivities of these topics. And I think the issue is RE teachers aren't well-trained. I think from so many people I talk to, their RE is just something that's added on to another teacher's role. So then they're getting really poor teaching. They're not understanding the depths and the breadths of these traditions. And so it's just a cycle, a very poor downward cycle in terms of RE. Um, what I would hope is that you do have a teacher uh, that understands, again, the nuance and the sensitivities of religious traditions who can speak 
perhaps not in an entirely objective manner, right? If you're in a faith school and someone, your RE teacher is Christian, of course, there's going to be some type of Christian influence on how you see the rest of the world. But to be able to present, this is what this religion is historically, and these are the issues that are facing it today, because you need to understand these things because you will eventually encounter someone, hopefully, of this faith. And it's important to understand maybe just a brief overview of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, if that's possible. Um, or, words. Or, yes, yeah. <laughs> or the issue of anti-Semitism or Islamophobia. I think it's important to communicate these to students, but my concern is we don't have teachers who can do that well. One risk of having somebody who is, say, very Christian presenting on other faiths is they will misrepresent. I mean, I remember... Isn't that true of, any, of, of anybody? I mean, I can oh, be sorry. a secularist sorry, and I can misrepresent oh, oh, religion. Uh, so uh, if I'm, sorry, a, sorry, I'm a good teacher or a bad teacher. Which is why what I would rather do is to see people from each faith group or belief group coming to explain their own take on it. I mean, I remember, because I, I, I was technically Jewish, I was exempted from RE when I was little, but I decided to go to the lesson about Judaism. And I remember the, um, the teacher... Uh, who you know, was very Christian, saying the key thing about Jews is they don't eat pork and they don't believe in Jesus. And I'm not sure that really captures the essence of Judaism. But that's the issue. That's, again, the teacher, isn't it? That, that's fundamentally absolutely. the teacher absolutely. rather than um, a, a faith school or, 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 or but, but a non-faith school. Absolutely. So what we should have is people who are good at teaching religions or, you know, and will bring people in and philosophy and thinking. Well, that no, would be you, fantastic. You, 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 you are, you described yourself as a politician. Um, and Tony Blair was a great fan of faith schools. You might not have been Tony Blair's favourite fan, but he was. Now, what, why was he so keen on faith schools? What, was, what, what lay behind that and that government investment in uh, faith schools? I mean, he was very religious, um, and there is a, there's a really interesting set of beliefs which we sort of slightly touched on, um, which are that morals ethos necessarily come from faith. I remember hearing, I mean, I'm not suggesting people sort of would argue that strongly here, but you know, I remember hearing a, a bishop lecture at a, a civic event I was at um, just after the Cumbria shootings. And he said, you know, this shows why a, a belief in God is so essential. Without that, how could you know that a shooting was wrong? And I was slightly alarmed because I, I, I don't believe in a God, but I, I think going and randomly shooting a group of people is probably a bad thing. You know, I can, I can work that one out. So there is this premise that ethos can only be a faith-driven thing. And I, and, and I think that's completely wrong. I think it's not kindly spirited to imagine that the secular or atheists, you know, do not have a charitable impulse. And surely, as we can see, I mean, the wealth of uh, NGOs and charities providing all kinds of different initiatives and relief, it's certainly there. Um, how do you inculcate it in younger people so that it becomes part of who they are and their vision for their contribution to society? I do not see the kind of easy mechanism to convey that or to build that into a young person's kind of worldview. Is it the exclusiveness that, that you're concerned about, that the sense that, of being either superior or exclusive over and against others, and uh, that, that's, that's lying behind what you're saying? Well, no, I mean, I just don't see how you 
can impart, and I'm sure you can. I mean, I I come from a tradition where there's a very you know strong kind of built-in. This is how we live attitude towards charity, and I think that's one of the strongest and most beautiful aspects of the Muslim faith. And I see it. Um, you know, I taught at a university uh, in Southwest London that had a huge Muslim population amongst our students, and it was just. Quite striking to see how day in, week out, they would just they would they could turn you know ten thousand pounds in a week. They would do cupcake sales and they would send you know ten fifteen thousand pounds to you know some the Central African Republic. Um, it was just kind of built into them, and it had come from you know the the attitude towards charity uh, that they internalize at home or at perhaps whatever faith school that they had gone through. And I don't, I mean, I would be open and and very much wish to see that replicated in other ways, but I. I don't see the kind of genesis or the kind of structure you would build that around at the school level, if, if that's what we're talking about. I, I think you can. I mean, I don't have the figures with me, but studies which I've seen suggest that there's essentially no difference in charitable giving depending on faith. Um, you, you can see it if you include giving to your religious buildings mm -hmm. as charity, then you see a slight increase. Um, if you take that out, you see a slight decrease for people with faith. My conclusion is there's basically no difference, really. Um, so you absolutely can have values. I could, you know, I could talk about rules and how you could encourage. You can imagine games that young children could play that are all about the benefits of charity. Um, and I think that would be a lovely thing to see. I mean, I think what I would want to see is actually combining all of what we've talked about, the good things about having pastoral care, broader attitudes to the whole child. Let's do that in every school so it's available for every single child. But if that was available in a faith school, you wouldn't have a problem with it. But I, I would then go back to the fundamental problem that with a faith school, it means saying that some pupils are not allowed to go in if they practice any sort of selection on who can come in. And so if you have a school that's doing well, if you, if you allow any level of selection, that means there are children being excluded. There's another issue, which is about discrimination in terms of employment. You know, I have no problem with the idea that the person who comes to talk about Christianity or Islam should be Christian or Muslim, but actually, does the maths teacher have to be specifically Christian in order to teach maths? Um, you know, should they care about ethos? Should they care about morals? Should they care about the whole child? Yes. Do they have to be specifically that religion? I can't see why. I suppose one of the things that, 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 that worries me slightly um, if we're trying to create this perfect school and this sort of um, theoretically perfect school, um, it, it, we don't allow for the diversity that is this country. Now, we can argue about the decline of the established church um, and the free churches and the growth in other, other Christian denominations, uh, whether it's sort of evangelical Pentecostal churches or the growth of minority communities, the Muslim community and so on. But surely, Austin, the, the strength of this country is its diversity and therefore we should be allowing for some diversity in, in the choice of our schools, including our faith schools. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I guess against your American principles. Maybe, yes, but... yes. Well, I think, from my understanding, what it boils down to is that if, if the state-funded schools aren't performing uh, well in an area, that goes back to the responsibility of the state. Uh, if these parents feel like they have to send their students to a faith-specific school to get a good education, what does that reflect back onto the state schools? I mean, I, I look back to where I grew up, um, and everybody had a spot in a state-funded, uh, secular, in quotations, non-religious school. If you wanted a religious education, you can go and you can apply and you can pay for that. 
um, but everyone had access to a decently performing school in our local area. Um, so I do think everyone should have a choice, and I do think it's important to cultivate a diverse atmosphere, like you were saying, like that is one of the strengths of Great Britain. Um, but I think we also have to recognize that some areas just don't have that diversity. If you have a school in Walthamstow or Stoke Newington, yes, ideally it will draw from the diversity of the neighborhood. But I have a friend who's a teacher in East London where 98% of his students are Bangladeshi Muslim. So what do we do with that? And that's a state-funded school as well. Yeah, well, that's a good question. And I'd like to, to, to move on to, um, to the question of Northern Ireland. Um, because this, this, this is an area where we have a real issue in terms of uh, um, faith schools. You're listening to the Wolf Institute podcast Encounter with me, Ed Kessler. My guests today are Julian Hubbard, Azadema Oveni, and Austin Tiffany. Northern Ireland, less than 7% of schools in Northern Ireland are integrated. This is 20 years after the peace process, um, and yet um, the children who are being educated do not come out with a, a real sense of encounter with others. They're primarily Protestant schools or they're primarily Catholic schools. Um, I mean, that is a good example for you, Julian, to show uh, how a, um, a faith school actually is divisive um, and leads to a complete separation between groups. So I'd imagine that would be, you know, an example for you to... Uh... Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's deeply toxic. It means that um, pupils growing up in Northern Ireland have this sense of other. You know, far, far too many of them just don't know people from the other faith. There's this massive segregation. Um, and, you know, I really do think that that concentration of faith schools in Northern Ireland is, is a large part of the problem. Now, I'm not saying if we got rid of them, suddenly all the, you know, all the difficulties would vanish. But wouldn't it be so much better if we had more cases where, you know, at least young Protestant children were in the same classroom as young Catholic children. Because while, you know, we were talking about this earlier, I said they may or may not get on with each other and see each other the rest of the time, they'd still every now and then bump into each other, they'd play football, they'd do whatever it is, and they discover, actually, this kid seems to be quite a lot like, like me. And then when they encounter some of the stronger positions, the more extreme positions in their family or their communities, it's harder to understand, you know. You say all the Catholics do this, but John doesn't seem to, and Mary doesn't. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, it's kind of this idea of like my Aunt Carol, uh, some name like that, where it's once you just know someone who is different than you, it totally changes your view of them, even if you're not engaging. And so I think I would want to echo Julian in this, and I would like to see uh, a large investment in more integrated schools in Northern Ireland. I mean, the idea of segregated schools entirely in such a drastic manner where your options really only are Catholic and Protestant is deeply disturbing. To me, I think uh, there needs to be some type of encounter. And given the history of Northern Ireland, you would hope that maybe this Aunt Carol initiative uh, would eventually and slowly change perceptions of young people towards Catholics. Maybe it's not one where we're going to be best friends, but it's actually these people are decent people because I played football with this guy. Who's well, let's bring it back to your example of, uh, of East London, where 98% of the local population are Bangladeshi Muslim. Mm. How do we ensure those children going to their local school have uh, an understanding of, of other traditions? Do we bust them in like the, uh, you know, the segregated South? What do we do? Mm. That's a really good question. I think in an ideal scenario, I would like to see more after-school programs or more community initiatives that draw from different areas uh, whether that's sports clubs or whether that's art clubs or whatever, I think those are vitally important in giving uh, students access to those who may come from poorer families. 
to families who may not be able to afford to send their kids to camps or different classes. I think that's vital as well. I, I don't know if busing in is the option, but I think there's also a role, again, bringing it back to the teacher, of being able to teach and expose these students to a broader set of realities than just their own. So it's having a good RE teacher in this 97, 98% Bangladeshi Muslim school that does bring in the local vicar or that perhaps twins themselves with a Church of England school nearby and lets the students meet each other. That's not going to solve all the issues in one day, right? But it begins asking these questions, putting these questions in children's minds of this world is much more diverse than my neighborhood. And I think that's an important first step. I think there's an issue that hangs above this discussion, which is... Um, which is why certain areas like, say, East London will have state schools that are so essentially concentrated. Why do you have schools like Bethnal Green Academy, for example, that's 98% Muslim? Um, how do you bring diversity, empathy, the mosaic model, um, everything that you know schools in the US after desegregation were trying to do? Um, I mean, part of the issue is, I think, in this country, because um, there is a certain middle-class accessibility of private education, um, and I think we can see that, you know, very illuminated in the city we're sitting in, in Cambridge, there is a vast majority of, not a vast majority, there is a vast uh, potential and pool of young people and parents who who opt out of the state school system entirely because they can barely afford to send their kids to a private, independent, public, whatever you know, label you want to use on it here, school. And so I think that perforce um, creates these concentrations, ethnic, religious, otherwise, in places where they wouldn't otherwise. I mean, those parts of East London are very, very popular for white, hippie, you know, professionals, and they come, and by the time their kids turn seven or eight, they move away, because they don't want their kids to go to those schools. So they'll go somewhere more expensive, or they'll go somewhere else, and they'll send their kids to a private school. So if you dramatically increase the tax, for example, that private independent schools had to pay, kind of forced a whole kind of segment of society that opts for to, you know, educate their kids out of the state system, push that pool back into the state system, that would, you know, inevitably create much more diversity, I think, across the board and lift the standards. But I mean, I think that that is a kind of inherited tradition of this country is to have, you know, the public school system and the kind of inequality it creates across the rest of the system. So looking ahead, what would be your vision of the future? If we, if we sit down again in five years time, um, how, how, how would you like to see our schooling system in terms of um, the, the, the balance between faith schools, the third that are um, regarded as, as faith schools and the two thirds that, that, that are not? Julian, would you, would you like to see the, the, this, the selective, um, um, dim, discri discriminatory selection to be um, banned or stopped altogether? What, what would you like to see in five years' time? I would like to see no discriminatory selection, because I don't think it's right that the state says to kids, you can't go to the, to the school. I'd like to see no discriminatory employment, unless there's a, a good reason. So maths teachers able to teach maths regardless of their religion. But I'd also like to see a focus on holistic education for pupils, that we can, in this environment, improve education, make it much more than just about test scores, and actually make it a proper human-centred education. So what are the role of faith communities in your, your, your brave new world? Um, I think faith communities will have a role, particularly outside school. I mean, uh, I have no problem with what people do outside the time that the state is paying for. 
So faith communities will be engaged with teaching their own children, with running programs, Saturday schools, Sunday schools, whatever it is they want to do. I hope they would be engaged with a diversity of schools in offering experiences. What is it like? In, so that in the 98% Bangladeshi community, they get to understand more about other groups. And the 98% you know, English, Norfolk community, they understand what it's like to be you know, even from Suffolk. Um, even. How, even that far, you know, <laughs> maybe even further. Um, so I think there's, there's a role in that sense. But again, to me, it's that fundamental thing about should we be discriminating in state-funded, state-provided services to say, this teacher isn't the right religion to teach here, that pupil isn't the right religion to be able to go to this school. As a five years. I'm open to Julian's Brave New World vision, whereby we <laughs> eradicate all faith schools entirely uh, and create a superior, more holistic, uh, better funded, uh, more thoughtful, just simply more ambitious uh, national curriculum for everyone. I mean, I think that when you have a multicultural society where you need to mix everyone up and make sure that young people interact with each other, develop some empathy, develop some live and let live, develop whatever tools they need to be able to grow up and function you know, as peers, respecting others. That is a wonderful way to try and approach it. Um, so I'm open to your vision. Um, that not seeming to be the path you know, uh, you know, laying ahead of us, um, I would like to see um, face schools dealt with more fairly and not have discrimination within discrimination, kind of, you know, barring your language, Julian. If it, it, if it is discriminatory to begin with, and I can completely see that, let us not have it even further so within that system itself. So let us not have, um, you know, a feeling that Ofsted is becoming so politicized that it's acting as a kind of arm of an ideological core in the Tory party, um, and that it is, you know, it is doing sort of British values straight down up, you know, from the home office in primary schools. Um, that's a quite terrifying future to envision. Um, and I would really love to see, um, you know, there was a study just out last week of all these Muslim families who've taken their kids out of school. I would like to see them back in schools, whether it's faith schools or state schools, back in the school system, because I think, you know, staying at home is the most isolating of all. And, you know, and to feel that you have to make that choice is alarming. So I would projecting ahead, um, really hope that things have um, been balanced out and kind of evened out in terms of what Ofsted is doing. So if we're dealing with what we have to work with, which is, you know, these faith schools as they exist, that it is fair, less discriminatory and feels more inclusive and more safe for all parents. Thank you. Austin. I think I would agree largely. But in some ways, in other ways not. But I think more specifically, what I would like to see in five years' time is better RE education. Um, I would like to see uh, teachers who take this subject much more seriously and a curriculum that does not make judgment calls on whether a particular religion is right or wrong, but one that simply presents the religion on its own. Uh, and whether that's bringing in a rabbi to teach about Judaism, an imam to teach about Islam, um, or sending them to a gudwara for the kids to experience themselves. I think that is incredibly important to broadening the horizon of students. Um, I don't think that RE is a place to say that these people are going to hell, but it's okay because we're going to heaven. That's absolutely <laughs> not right at all, as well as it's also not right to have a teacher thrown into this position without even understanding religion, period. Um, so I would like to see much more development in that, 
uh, for schools to take it much more seriously, both in faith-specific schools and also state schools, uh, in the hope that this enhances uh, these kids' views of Britain and the diversity that is Britain today. Well, thank you so much for your very clear views and the different positions that you've taken. I suspect that government policy will continue to be muddled um, and sort of work and weave its way through. Um, I, I'd be surprised if the securitization of education does not reduce. It would be nice to see it. Um, but I, I'd imagine that it will continue and Ofsted will continue to be politicized um, and certain schools will be targeted. Um, my hope is that uh, our schools will be, on a personal, my personal hope is that the schools will be uh, more welcoming to the diversity of this society. Um, and I think there are some very, very good examples of faith schools and schools that are of no faith. Um, and that's what we should be focusing and modeling on for all our schools. And when there uh, is a school that fails um, in its teaching for whatever reason, um, the arm of the law should, uh, should come down heavily. So thank you to Austin Tiffany, Asde Moveni, and to Julian Hubbard. You've been listening to the Wolf Institute Podcast Encounter, and I'll be back with another discussion in a fortnight.